This week's TribCast is sponsored by former U.S. Congressman and CIA officer Will Hurd's new book, American Reboot, An Idealist Guide to Getting Big Things Done, is available now from Simon & Schuster, wherever books are sold. And Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute's vision is for Texas to be the national leader in treating all people with mental health needs. Learn more at mmhpi.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast for April 1st, 2022. No, it's an April Fool's joke-free zone here in the Tripcast today. Be at ease. Uh, no worries. Uh, my name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. This week, I am joined by two reporters, Reese Oxner. Hey, Reese. Hey, thanks for having me. And Mitchell Furman. Hey, Mitchell. Hey there. Thank you all for joining us. All right. So, Reese, I'm going to start with you. For weeks now, the Texas foster care system has been in scandal over allegations of sexual abuse at The Refuge, which is a children's shelter for victims of, self, of sex trafficking in Bastrop. Uh, this is kind of a scandal within a scandal as DFPS and CPS have faced challenges for more than a decade. You know, court-appointed monitors routinely finding problems such as children sleeping in office buildings, determinations that kids basically who are entering the system are being subjected to abuse, neglect, often leaving the system in worse shape than they entered. Um, But this week, a lot of that attention has focused specifically around the refuge. Uh, There was a court hearing over this in which a judge expressed outrage over the situation, requested a federal investigation, and kind of, you know, seemed to be kind of needling, raising questions about, you know, state leaders' response to this scandal all the way up to, you know, Governor Greg Abbott, really. Um, Reese, you've been covering kind of every step of this um, since the news broke. Can Let's start by just talking about the allegations of what happened at the refuge and, and how they were brought to light. Get, catch us up on what happened there. Sure. So um, it, it came out during this, this same lawsuit. And so we, you'd mentioned that this lawsuit has been going on a long time. It just hit its 11-year anniversary in which this federal judge has been really uh, examining almost every part of the long-term foster care system in the state. And so, you know, there was an emergency hearing um, pretty early last month. Uh, We had about like a 10-minute heads up, um, some of of the media, that the judge was convening this emergency hearing. And it all stemmed from this, this letter that came from inside of DFPS. And so this letter detailed um, all the issue, all the allegations that had come out at this fast drop shelter, which apparently had started in January, and there's another situation in February, but the children had remained in place until uh, early March. And so essentially what happened is uh, staff members from inside the refuge, as well as some external people reported that there was possible sex trafficking, sex abuse, uh, even maybe physical abuse and other allegations, very serious allegations. And state leaders had not been notified. The court hadn't been notified, um, which the court, there's a a ongoing order that the court and its two monitors, which act as watchdogs over the system, should be notified as soon as anything this serious happens. And so that's what the emergency hearing was about. And the allegations, really, there's two uh, now confirmed situations that uh, the controversy is surrounding. The first happened in January. 
um, where a, a employee at the refuge who worked overnights and ensured that you know, the, the children and youth uh, inside the facility had overnight supervision. She is accused of soliciting nude photos from two of the children there, two of the adolescents, and then off trying to sell the photos in exchange for illegal drugs to provide the children with. And uh, that came out and she had been fired from the facility and there's an investigation underway, a criminal investigation from Bastrop County Sheriff's Office now that the uh, Texas Rangers have also kind of stepped in and helped with the investigation. The other situation um, was a month later, two girls had escaped the facility um, with the help of several staff members. And that's still under investigation. It's a little more murky as to what the circumstances leading up to that were. But, uh, you know, according to hearings, these, these staff members helped them out of concerns that the kids had. But basically, this, that's like a huge red flag for any victims of sex trafficking. You're helping them get on the street, booking them a hotel room and, you know, potentially, you know, putting them back in the hands of sex traffickers. And so those children were returned to the facility soon after, and those employees were fired as well. And so still we're waiting to hear kind of the, the more details as the invest investigation unfolds. So there's, there's a lot of layers to this, and I want to kind of take a step back eventually, but first, let's talk about kind of the immediate fallout to this particular, you know, allegation, uh, scandal, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, terrible situation at, at, at the very least. Um, so we saw, you know, several DFPS, Department of Family Protective Services uh, folks, who either resigned or were fired as a result of this. There have been kind of legislative hearings about, you know, not just how this was able to happen, but the the kind of lack of reporting and, you know, uh, kind of going up the chain of command to, to notify that this was going on. Then you also had this letter from, uh, you know, uh, Department of Public Safety Director Steve McCraw, D DPS, kind of the statewide law enforcement agency uh, in which, uh, uh, the Texas Rangers are a part of, um, in which, you know, basically they were brought in to investigate. And then pretty soon after the, this information became public, McCraw writes this letter to Governor Greg Abbott, which Abbott and others kind of immediately publicize about what, you know, they had found went on there. Tell us a little bit about that letter and what the reaction has been to it. Definitely. So going back, I mean, this, this emergency hearing was March 10th, and immediately there was a, a very Big backlash um, from you know the public, from lawmakers, from everyone. Uh, Abbott vowed that the the Texas Rangers, which DPS oversees, would investigate the situation. And then days later, this letter from McCraw comes out, uh, basically saying that there is no evidence of sexual abuse or trafficking uh, to any of the residents while they were at the refuge. And there was a lot of backlash because the letter also, in the same uh, you know paragraph, even confirmed that an employee was found to uh, have solicited and sold nude photos as well as the runaway incident. And so a lot of people took issue with the fact that they were that the investigation said there was no evidence of the sexual abuse when people argued that there very much is. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. It's pretty kind of dumbfounding to basically say that, you know, I believe the letter, you know, said essentially they were there were nude photos taken of, you know, minor minors in the in the custody of the state in this facility 
that those those it's it's in the letter right that those photos were then sold in exchange for drugs right, right. and so to basically mention that and then also in the same letter basically have a reassuring sentence that no sexual abuse occurred i mean it really calls the question of like what do you consider sexual abuse i mean that that seems like a pretty open and shut case right there um yeah i think and you know mccraw faced backlash for that kind of characterization during hearings before lawmakers uh you know certain lawmakers kind of pushed back on that point in which it kind of emerged that maybe it was um <laughs> The, the poorly cho chosen words, perhaps, mm -hmm. uh, because they also released a letter this week, uh, the same McGraw released a letter saying that there was no new evidence besides what was initially reported. Mm -hmm. And so I think what perhaps the original letter was trying but failing to do clearly is say there hadn't been further evidence of other incidents other than those main two main ones, which, you know, the, the immediate kind of, um, embracing of, of that DPS letter meant, you know, Abbott saying, you know, there's lots of misinformation that at least there wasn't sex trafficking, essentially, and a lot of other state leaders basically saying that. We're on the flip side, advocates and other lawmakers were saying that was just like a cop out. I mean, that letter is like basically, I think one lawmaker uh, was quoted during the hearing saying it felt like a uh, keep on moving, nothing to see here, folks, when there's definitely these very serious allegations that could and put and probably will result in criminal um action as well yeah well and also just why is that letter even necessary as you mentioned it came very early in the investigation kind of right after it happened you know i would say i i feel confident in saying you know through my experience covering state government that it's fairly rare for the director of d of department of public safety to write a letter to greg abbott the governor this early in the process and then kind of have that letter be publicized you know when before the investigation is even complete um you know there have of course been people who have pointed out that you know governor abbott is in the middle of a re-election campaign that this was something that his opponent uh, uh beto o'rourke was making a lot of hay over raising a lot of concern i mean we can you know i, I don't believe abbott has has really addressed this or you know we can only kind of make our guesses or 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 wonder why what what the kind of motivation was for the writing of that letter but i mean it seemed as though right as you were covering this hearing and this this longer you know 11 year lawsuit that the the judge janice jack was was not particularly unhappy about the release or writing of this letter right yeah she was not happy about the the release of the letter and in fact she said you know, prior to this circumstance, she would have, you know, had a lot of confidence in the Texas Rangers, but she said that this situation has changed her mind. And she she did tell um, the, the defendants at the hearing that she would be seeking a federal uh, investigation, a criminal investigation as well. Um, we haven't had word if, if her court monitors have asked for that yet. But she was asking that it, it take federal investigators because she just said, you know, it feels very reactionary and very, um, you know, quickly done. And, and it even came out during the hearing. There's some kind of conflicting uh, testimonies here. But the D DPS director, McCraw, said that uh, the Texas Rangers had investigated or had interviewed the victims uh, at the center of these allegations. But it came out during the hearing that they had not by the time those initial findings had been released. And, you know, there was a lot of pushback from the state as to why this was being so publicized. Um, you know, I think some of the lawmakers, even during the hearing, uh, 
were pushing back on why we were hearing about it before the investigation was complete. Yeah, at the same time, we're hearing, you know, initial findings from the Texas Rangers that are conflicting with some of those allegations. So it's definitely a very reactionary response um, on all the fronts from the state. Indeed. So what do we know about the refuge, this place where the, the, the abuse is alleged to have occurred? Yeah, so the refuge is a shelter specifically for victims of sex trafficking, um, children uh, and youth, um, and they're contracted with the state, um, state licensed to care for foster care children, as well as uh, private placements and, and children from even other states. There's at least one child there from Oklahoma. And so they have a very specific mission um, in that front, and it, that's what makes it somewhat unique from other shelters that are licensed by the state because they provide specialized care. So there's you know, therapists on site, there's um, you know, gynecologists and doctors that come and it's less of a, a one size fits all approach. There's definitely like less children there and it's supposed to really provide source resources that they wouldn't normally get in the wider foster care system or in other nonprofit systems. Um, it, it's fairly new. It's been in the works for a few years, but it really uh, hasn't had like a lot of uh, time to test out its processes. And these are the two first big like scandals to come out. Yeah. And, you know, we have heard from the founder of this shelter uh, previously in, in, in a uh, legislative hearing over this in, in which they said, you know, that the, um, uh, uh, the, the, the person accused of having uh, selling the nude pictures uh, passed a, um, or, or I guess that there, there had been a criminal background check ordered in, in before the hiring of this person, but also that they had found out later that there, that person had multiple relatives, right, working at the facility, which they did not know when they hired it, um, which I think raised some questions as well. But I was also struck about kind of the treatment that the refuge is receiving. I mean, at that hearing that we discussed, it felt like they were not receiving a lot of pressure from, you know, state lawmakers in the same way that DFPS and other folks were. I mean, uh, what's the what's the blowback been for the the nonprofit that runs this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I also noticed that there is somewhat of a softer touch from lawmakers um, and other people when it comes to this the shelter. And I think maybe the reason is, um, as far as we know now, you know, the the refuge did report these things uh, as they happened and fired the employees that were uh, found to be responsible or alleged to be responsible. And so as far as their reporting mechanism goes uh, for a timeline, they, they report it quickly. We haven't really delved a whole lot into what allowed the situation to, to take place. Um, there have been some issues with the way the, the facility has done background checks, and that was brought up during some of these hearings as well. Um, in which like they, for, they forgot to finalize a background check or someone's background check went inactive because when you work with children, you're supposed to con constantly be monitored, right? If something else pops up, you'll be the state will be notified and they forgot to turn that back on for some employees. But that didn't have any specific bearing on the, the two main allegations that are at the center of this case. And, you know, I think lawmakers just... Uh, from what I've seen, like the sympathy, sympathy comes from the fact that there really is a huge need for these types of facilities mm. and for these shelters. And I think, you know, even um, some lawmakers have expressed interest in getting the facility reopened right sooner and like with possible reforms, but less they're less seeking like a permanent closure of it. Mm -hmm. 
So the broader context, of course, is as you mentioned that there has been an 11 year lawsuit in which multiple, multiple findings of kind of widespread problems within the foster care system. You know, the problems even predate that, you know, the, the lawsuit 11 years ago when it was filed alleged long time problems. And, you know, I, these, this goes back to the, the George W. Bush administration, if not farther, um, further. What about, you know, how does this affect kind of the, the broader uh, concerns that are being raised in this lawsuit and, and, and the bigger picture surrounding this lawsuit? I mean, is this basically being treated as just another sign that as much as these, as much attention and concern that, you know, judges and, and plaintiffs are, are bringing to the problems here that, that these, these issues just kind of seem to persist and not be going away? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's indicative of like these longstanding problems, but it's also being treated as, um, you know, I think from lawmakers are treating it as a way to approach the system as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, we, right, we have two branches right now actively working, or three, if you, yeah, we have all three branches of government working on different fronts with, you know, Abbott ordering DPS to investigate. We have lawmakers convening outside of the session to start addressing uh, problems. We have a special Senate committee that was just created to, to go over issues at CPS, at Child Protective Services. Um, so we're seeing a lot of uh, outside of the regular legislature activity, um, attention, which is, is unique. Um, that's not something that was already going on. And they're treating it as an entry point, right? They're, I think the kind of tone lawmakers are taking is that the refuge problem isn't isolated, that this is something that the system has allowed to to happen. And so that's why there's a big inquiry into, you know, what DFPS did and in, in when these allegations first surfaced, and then also what can lawmakers do to kind of change the overarching system as well. And I guess the question will be, will it work this time? Because we have, of course, had times where the legislature has rallied and, you know, claimed to put more money in or, or impose reforms on the system you know, celebrated that, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you see in the Capitol that everyone kind of applauds and, and, and gets brings together on Republicans, Democrats and the like. And then we continue to see problems. So will this be something that, you know, finally fixes that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think even just like one of the things that has come out, you know, multiple times, not just in this incident, but it's just that the computer systems that these two agencies in charge of the state's foster care system is very antiquated and cumbersome. And it's led to some of this miscommunication. Um, there's three different computer systems that uh, DFPS and HHSC use, um, which HHSC manages the licensing of these facilities. And so they have one big, huge part of the foster care system. And then DFPS manages like the actual uh, child abuse investigations and things like that and so they're very it's two agencies also overlooking like a very you know very close Venn diagram of this system and so if they're not communicating effectively lawmakers are asking why that is and there have been bills passed to address that uh, the judge even has ordered but was later appealed and not able to to kind of talk about computer systems but they're still uh, not been updated at this point Thank you, Reese. Let's pause and hear from our sponsors. The Beer Alliance of Texas. Texas law allows three-tier complaint ordering platforms for home delivery of alcoholic beverages, ensuring safe and quality products for consumers. Visit BeerAlliance.com to learn more. And 
Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery. Our colleges provide credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands. For more information, visit TACC.org. All right, so as I record this, it is a, a glorious 72 degrees outside. We're here in the first day of April. I think our threat of winter storms is uh, in all likelihood behind us. So Mitchell, this is great. Take the summer off, right? No more worries about the power grid, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think the grid should probably be okay um, <laughs> at this point. I think we're done with winter. Uh, but yeah, there is certainly the threat of, um, as a result of the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, Indeed. our elevated threats of, of hacking attempts on Texas energy infrastructure and the grid, the regulators in, in Texas overseeing the grid are, are watching for it. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about this, right? So basically, you know, this, that was of course a joke, right? The, uh, um, I, I think we were probably at less of a point where we should be ringing the alarm about our power going out as we, as we report this, but you did have a story today about how, you know, upon the, Russian invasion of Ukraine and with the um, uh, with with the kind of tensions that have arisen between the Russia and the West on this that there are kind of heightened alerts right is that would you put that as the right way to put it and, and ERCOT and other infrastructure around whether you know the Russians might try to pull something uh, any kind of attacks tell us tell us what it, what you're hearing from the people who are whose job it is to monitor that heightened alerts would be fair and they're on heightened alert for for a reason um russia is known in the cybersecurity world for having a top top notch uh cyber attack operation we've seen them deploy it um whether uh that's the, the government itself or or groups affiliated with uh the government there um we saw in last year uh the the biggest fuel pipeline in the in the us um was was shut down for six days as a result of a uh, hacking and uh um you know they, they are they have capabilities and actors um who 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 have shown a, a prowess for for doing this kind of um activity and texas of course um is a is is a massive energy player on the global stage and and so is russia russia is the third biggest oil producing country and uh europe depends uh big time on gas from russia um as as an energy source and as a result of this war that russia started europe and other countries uh and, and other other areas of the world um uh are are, are either self-sanctioning or beginning to boycott Russian energy. Um, and, uh, you know, that means they need to get it from somewhere else. And, uh, and, and Texas has a lot of energy, produces a lot of energy, exports a lot of it. Um, so, you know, cybersecurity experts are, are, are paying attention to Texas energy infrastructure um, because if, if Russia's product is, is, dwindling on the global market then um you know it could potentially uh make sense for them according to to security experts to uh 
cause some harm to the Texas energy infrastructure in some way. Sure. And of course, there's there's a lot of kind of geopolitical uh, factors here at play, right? It's not just that Russia's mad at us and we're mad at Russia. There's there's issues of deterrence. And we, you know, presumably, I think, have some abilities to strike back if there were some kind of major attack. They, of course, are, would be worried about, you know, provoking the U.S. And, and other Western countries, which have so far kind of, you know, in part, an attempt to avoid, you know, nuclear war have not gotten military involved aside from supplying arms to Ukraine. Um, so it's not as simple as just like, we're mad at the US, let's do this. But but you've been speaking to, you know, some cybersecurity experts on this topic, you know, in recent days and weeks. I mean, what should, how, how worried should I, random, you know, person in Austin, Texas be right now about, about something happening here? I mean, on a scale of one to last february probably about a, <laughs> a three no um i i don't think we're i would no one has has said that we are going to have a week-long week-long blackouts mm -hmm. uh in texas um it could the, the likelihood is that it will affect more specific areas right like a like a key if something were to happen it would maybe be something like a like a export and a, a gas export terminal mm -hmm. right I, I talked to the the ceo of the port of corpus christi a, a massive uh energy exporting seaport and uh and he said you know he said they're on super high alert they have a they have a dedicated team of, of cybersecurity experts because they see hacking attempts daily the, you know the en energy world sees hacking attempts all the time and the bigger companies and bigger entities generally employ a stable of cybersecurity uh staff to to deter these threats and the difference now is um we're in kind of uncharted territory uh according to the cybersecurity experts i talked to we have a war by uh a major uh country that uh has the cyber capabilities at a time globally that we've, we've never had these kinds of capabilities during a war like this between that involves a country of of their power. Um, and so it's kind of, uh, you know, people kind of have a tough time predicting what what could happen because we haven't seen this before. Indeed. And, and, you know, basically what you are, have reported what we are seeing right now is basically an increased number of of you know, Russian hackers probing the energy infrastructure to, to find weak points, right? Right. They're essentially surveying the field. They're, yeah. they're looking at company, you know, whether it's utility companies, key oil and gas transportation hubs, and, you know, a lot of energy companies contract with dozens of vendors, right? It's a, it's a, it's a massive supply chain that's very complex and there are a lot of moving parts. And as a result, there are more, um, you know, more moving targets for, for nefarious actors to potentially exploit. Yep. And your story mentioned, you know, some instances where we've seen kind of Russians doing, you know, whether it's state actors or, or people just based in Russia doing some kind of nefarious hacking things in Texas. You, you mentioned a situation in East Texas, you mentioned, you know, ironically, um, a, I believe a hospital in Odessa, of course, named after, after a Ukrainian city. I mean, what, what have we seen in the past from, from these actors. Yeah, I mean, the, the Biden administration is, is 
clearly um, trying to put on display the the Russian hacking prowess. I mean, the just last week, the just the U.S. Justice Department uh, unsealed two indictments charging four Russians who worked for the Russian government um, with an ongoing of campaign of 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 hacking um, and infiltrating computers of uh, energy companies in over 100 countries over six years. Um, and yeah, separately, you mentioned this East Texas uh, case where the a federal grand jury indicted a, a Russian man in East Texas for operating a, a cyber criminal marketplace where, you know, he was selling thousands of stolen login credentials and personal IDs. Um, you know, so so the Justice Department is clearly trying to, um, you know, show that that this this country is capable of 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 these sorts of things. And Biden's uh, statement last week warning about evolving um, intelligence that that Russia is trying to plan some sort of cyber attack, uh, you know, furthers that kind of evidence. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so I mean, the other big impact we're seeing on the energy infrastructure or, or economy in Texas is, of course, just, you know, the rise of gas prices um, globally, you know, in, in part due to what is happening uh, in Russia and, and the fact that Russia is, you know, such a big energy state itself. You took a visit to the Permian Basin recently uh, to kind of check out kind of how that was playing out on the ground. Uh, can you tell us a little about what you saw when you when you did that yeah um it was an interesting time to be there because it, it uh there were a lot of calls from texas politicians and, and really politicians across the country especially more so republicans to to kind of ramp up drilling and 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 you know drill baby drill and unleash american energy and uh you know the the permian basin has is the hottest oil producing region in the country and it had been it had been ramping up oil production before, well before the war, just, you know, as, as oil demand globally recovered from the pandemic um, and people were, were going places and, and, and uh, you know, so, so drilling was, was picking up, but it, it, it's not, um, it, it is not a boom in the Permian Basin right now. Uh, there are not, during boom time there, it is generally, uh, you know, 45 minute waits at restaurants. It's very congested with traffic. Um, hotels are packed. And that's not what's happening right now. But it's also not a it's not a it's not a, a, a bus time either. And I know, I know people in the Permian don't love the boom bust uh, characterizations. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of there is activity, but there is not. Um, there are some challenges the industry, the oil and gas industry is facing, um, such as labor shortages, supply chain issues, uh, uh, hesitance from uh, investors in Wall Street to put make long term investments in in the industry, um, as well as a, a kind of a frosty relationship with the Biden administration. Indeed, interesting. Yeah, you you mentioned the frosty relationship with the Biden administration, and you mentioned the phrase "drill, baby, drill." I mean, the new catchphrase we're hearing now is "Midland over Moscow," right? Um, there are literally bumper stickers of this uh, right now. I saw a picture, I think, of uh, Greg Abbott and uh, a state house candidate holding one uh, a couple of days ago. 
and everything like that. So um, I think also in addition to the kind of uh, economic impact, we're seeing a very big kind of political uh, push uh, along those lines as well. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, Midland over Moscow is almost entirely political nomenclature. It, um, the U.S. imports hardly any Russian oil. Um, it, we, we, you know, the U.S. banned uh, Russian oil imports a few weeks ago, and uh, but it was that was that was symbolic more than anything. Um, the, you know, Russian oil is is a big. Uh, a big player on the global marketplace, but in the U.S., it's not that large, and Midland will continue producing plenty of oil <laughs> for the U.S. and others. Indeed, indeed. All right, well, I think that does it for our time today. Thank you to Mitchell and Reese uh, for joining us today. Thank you to our producer, Todd, and thank you to our sponsors, American Reboot, the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, the Beer Alliance of Texas, and the Texas Association of Community Colleges. We'll talk to you all next week. You